We do serve a Savior that's been resurrected from the dead. He lives. And I know we've just got done celebrating Thanksgiving, and I'm sure that all of us, one time or another, on that day, thank God for that. There's so many things that I'm thankful for, so many. And one of them is the privilege I have and honor to open up the Word of God to all of you. Those who are here and those of you that are watching online, it is a privilege and honor to open up the Word of God. I'm also grateful and thankful for 25 years that Urban Impact has been ministering. That means for 25 years, Allegheny Center Alliance Church and Urban Impact Foundation have been locking arms in the gospel here on the north side. That's amazing. 25 years, and I'm looking forward to another 25. Well, let me give you a quick update on Urban Impact. We're going to be doing Light the Night. It's going to be happening on December 18th at 7 p.m. That's again, December 18th, 7 p.m. You can go online. It's not going to be live. It'll be online. You can go on www.uifpgh.org slash light and register right now. You can do that. And I'll tell you what, I've seen it. It's 30 minutes long, and it is fantastic. You'll be encouraged, and you'll encourage the kids. So quickly, sign up. Another thing that I'm so encouraged about and I want to share with you is that I just share with you, we've been ministering for 25 years together. But in, in celebration of that, there was two people who gave $250,000 to honor our 25 years. And what that means is that we have a, a $250,000 matching grant at the end of the year. So if you would like to give, for example, you gave $100 last year, you give $200, that extra $100, it will be matched dollar for dollar. If you've never given a gift, any dollar you give will be matched. And I encourage you to pray and consider what you might do to help us meet that match. Well, with those things being said, let's get started. We're going to be talking about grace alone. Our passage is found in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, starting with verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would just ask right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin. And you would fill me with your spirit and you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, the title of our sermon is called Grace Alone. Let me define the word grace for us. A very simple and easy to remember definition for grace is this. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. This is the definition that's going to carry us through the sermon. But before we go any further, let me put some flesh behind those words. To do that, I have to illustrate two more words. Justice and mercy. When you understand justice and mercy, you get a better understanding of grace. How I'm going to do that is give you three scenarios. The first scenario is justice. Imagine 
You're driving down the highway and you are speeding. Police officer pulls you over, comes to your window of your car, asks you for your license and registration, and lets you know that you are speeding. Goes back to his vehicle, comes back with the ticket, gives you the ticket, and tells you to slow down and send you on your way. What's that called? That's called justice. You got what you deserved. You broke the law, you were speeding, you got a ticket, now you have to pay a fine. You got justice. You got what you deserved. Second scenario. Scenario is called mercy. Driving down the highway, you're speeding. Police officer pulls you over, comes up to the window of your car, asks you for your license and registration, lets you know you've been speeding. And you respond by saying, officer, I'm so sorry. I know I was doing wrong. I was speeding. And he says to you, all right, since you've admitted it, I'm just going to give you a warning and send you on your way. What's that called? That's called mercy because you didn't get what you deserve. You did not get what you deserve. You got mercy. The third scenario is grace. Again, you've been caught speeding. Police officer pulls you over, comes to the window, tells, asks you for your license and registration, tells you you've been speeding, goes back to his car, comes back with a ticket. And this time, he gives you the ticket with the maximum amount of penalty. Gives you the ticket. Then reaches back in and takes the ticket from you. And where it says guilty is charged, the officer writes his name. And then sends it into the courts. And when the courts ask for the person who is guilty to come stand before the judge, he takes your place. He declares himself guilty and he pays with his own money. You're fine. What's that called? That's called grace. That's God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for all of us who have called upon his name. He's forgiven us of our sin. He's taken our sins, our crimes, if you will, upon himself. He put himself in the guiltiest charge spot. And then he paid in full on the cross the penalty of our sin. And then he walked out of the grave and he has all power and authority to forgive us of our sin. And anybody who calls upon his name, they should be saved. And he paid that not with his money, but he paid that with his life. He gave his life on our behalf. Grace. Thank God for God's grace. So what we're talking about is grace alone. But what we're really saying is faith in Jesus Christ alone. So with that definition in mind, let's look at the background of our passage. The Apostle Paul is the one who the Lord used by his spirit to write the book of Romans. And he's writing to the believers in in the church at Rome. And he gives us the purpose of the book in chapter 1. In verse 16 it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. What he's saying there is anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ shall be saved. Then he goes on in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth By their wickedness. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God's judgment is inevitable. So the purpose of the book, God's judgment, is inevitable. But those who put their faith in Jesus Christ shall be saved. With that background, now let's look at the context. And this is very important that we look at the context. This will help us understand our passage. To do that, we have to go back to chapter 1. Then we have to look forward into chapter 2. Chapter 1. Paul explains how the Gentile world is lost, and they will face God's judgment if they do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You therefore have no excuse. Who 
who's the you there that Paul's referring to? It's not the Gentiles. It's the Jews. The Jews in the church at Rome. And Paul is saying, you, the Jews, like the Gentiles, have no excuse to not believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Matter of fact, throughout chapter 2, he tells them that if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will face judgment, just like the Gentiles. Now, Paul, being Jewish, understood what the, what the Jews would be thinking. They'd be thinking, now, Paul, you're, you, you're one of us. You, you get it. What you said about the Gentiles, yeah, they're going to be judged without question. But we're not going to be judged. I mean, Paul, we're not going to be judged because of three reasons. Number one, we're Jewish. We're God's chosen people. We're saved. We're not going to be judged. Number two, God gave us the law, Paul, remember? And it's proof. That's absolute proof that we're not going to face God's judgment because we are his people. And thirdly, we're circumcised, Paul. We've, we've been obedient to what God told us to do. So, Paul, what you said about the Gentiles is true. They're going to face God's judgment, but we're not. We're not because we're Jewish, because God's given us the law, and because we're circumcised. And the Apostle Paul takes on all three of these arguments in the rest of chapter 2. In verses 1 through 16, he deals with the argument that they will escape God's judgment because they're Jewish. And then in verses 17 through 24, he takes on the argument that they're not going to face God's judgment because they've been given the law. And then from verses 25 to the end of the chapter, he takes on the whole argument about circumcision. And he says this, he tells the Jews in Rome, listen, you have no excuse, none, because you sin like everyone else sins. And because you sin, you will face God's judgment like everyone else if you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul, throughout chapter 2, goes on in the passage and tells the Jewish people, he's saying, listen, if you're counting on anything else other than Jesus, if you're counting on your heritage, your nationality, your works, your religious works, you're going to face judgment just like the Gentiles. Because it isn't Jesus plus something it isn't Jesus and something. It is Jesus alone that you're saved. Faith in him alone. For he is the only one who has the power and the authority to forgive you of your sin and to give to you eternal life. No one else does. Now with that background and that context in our minds, let's look at our passage specifically. Verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're, going, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? What Paul is saying is, you Jews are just like the Gentiles, you sin. And you believe that you're not going to face God's judgment because you're Jewish, because you have the law, and because you're circumcised. Really? Let me stop right here. That kind of thinking is not, was not just found in the first century, but it's found in the church today. It's found within most of us. Let me ask you a question. How do you determine who is good and who is bad. Now, I know we use the scriptures, but I also know this. I know a lot of us, we kind of rank people. We have like moral categories. Let me explain. 
we kind of, people will say this. They'll say, there are undeniably bad people in the world. People like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Charles Manson. And most people will agree, yeah, those people were really bad. Really bad. And then there are people who will say, yeah, but there is undeniably good people in the world. People like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. And most people will agree, yeah, those folks were really good. But then we have this broad category where we put most people. It's the category that says, yeah, there are those who are good and sometimes bad. And we usually put ourselves in that category. And who do you suppose is the measuring rod that we measure everyone against? Who's the standard? You guessed it. It's us. It's each one of us. And that's the mistake that we make, and that's the mistake that the Jews made. Listen, we're not to compare ourselves with anyone. The standard is perfect. It's perfection. It's Jesus Christ. And not one of us measures up. We all need a Savior. We all come up short. This is what it says in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what the Apostle Paul is teaching here is that the judgment is going to fall on everyone. Everyone. Because the standard is perfection. Then he goes on in verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What Paul is saying when he says, do you show contempt? He's saying, are you looking down? Are you looking down on God's patience, forbearance, and kindness? Do you think that just because God doesn't judge you immediately, that he's not going to judge you at all? I've heard this argument quite often. This is how it goes. Pastor Ed, listen, God is a loving God. He's a kind and he's a good God. And he's a forgiving God. He's not going to judge us. He's going to forgive everyone. And whenever they make that statement, I ask this question. This is the question. Why doesn't our legal system, why doesn't our legal system just forgive everybody? Why don't they just say to everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or who you've done it to, we're just going to forgive everybody. And they respond, well, that wouldn't be fair. There would be no justice. And I respond and say, yeah, that's right. And that's not only true here, but it's true in heaven. Listen, God must be true to himself and to his law. His love is perfect, but so is his justice. Usually what happens is this, at this point, they change the argument. And they'll say this, okay, well, let me say this, though. I, I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a bad person. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed anybody. I'm not that bad of a person. And God is a loving God, and he's a forgiving God. He's a good God. He's going to forgive everybody as if God's going to forgive on a curve or something. And usually when I hear this, I'll say, well, okay, let's say that you're pretty good. Say you only sin one time a day, and then I'll go on and tell them I sin more than that. But let's say you're really good. You're kind of like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. And they usually say, well, I'm not. I say, okay, but just say you're good. You only sin one time a day. You live to your 80. 80, 365 days in a year times 80 comes out to 29,200 violations of God's law. That's 29,200 sins. Now let's turn those into traffic tickets and go back to my illustration about grace. 
Can you imagine yourself standing before God? He pulls out your rap sheet, and you got 29,200 traffic tickets. I mean, speeding tickets. Could you imagine the judge who is sworn to uphold the law is just going to pat you on the head and say, it's all forgiven? No. No, there would be no justice. And that's not only true among men, but that's true in heaven. That is true in heaven. And one day all of us are going to stand before God and give an account. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to the first century church and to us is this. He is a law, he's a, he's a loving God, yes, but he's also a just God. A just God. And for any of us who break God's laws, the only way that we're going to escape his ultimate judgment is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. For he is our substitute. He's the one who died on the cross and paid the penalty of our sin. And when he did that, he satisfied the law because the law required that someone would die. The wages of sin is death. He died in our place. And he paid the penalty. And when he paid the penalty and satisfied the law, God's judgment fell on him so it doesn't have to fall on us. So he's the one. He is the only one that can save you. Verse 4. Do you show contempt, he says, for the riches of his kindness? The riches, do you remember the definition? God's riches at Christ's expense. What the Apostle Paul is saying do you look down, showing contempt? Do you look down on God's grace? Are you looking down on what Jesus Christ has done for you? Are you saying what Jesus Christ has done for you is not enough for you? That somehow you have to do more? Are you counting on your nationality, your heritage, your works, your religious practices to save you? Really? Then he goes on in verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment would be revealed. Paul uses the word judgment and wrath six times in our passage. What's he referring to? Well, in the scriptures, there are two judgments. There is the judgment seat of Christ, and then there is this judgment of the great white throne. What's the difference between the two? The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Notice I said believers. So you're not being judged on whether or not you're going to heaven or going to hell. That's already determined. You're a believer. Heaven is going to be your home. That's a guarantee. So what are we going to be judged? We're going to be accountable. We're going to be accountable for what we have done with our time, talent, and treasures. What we've done with our thoughts, actions, and attitudes. That's what we're going to be judged over. We're going to be accountable for those. And we're going to be rewarded or not rewarded based on how we lived our lives for Jesus or we didn't live our lives for Christ. How we built the kingdom of God or how we built the kingdom of this world. We will be rewarded. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day... What's that day? The judgment seat of Christ. We'll bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, or whether good or bad. So the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. So who is the great white throne judgment for? That's for the non-believer. It's called the final judgment. It's reserved for those who've rejected Jesus Christ and therefore rejected God's provision for their sin. Everything that a non-believer has ever said or done will be on trial. Every thought, word, and deed. And as they stand before the great white throne, the verdict will be read. And there will be no appeals, no parole, only judgment. Read with me in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And believe me, I have no pleasure in reading these words because of what it means for a non-believer. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne in him. Who's him? Jesus. Who was seated on it. Remember, they rejected him. Who was seated on him? On it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. But the question is this. Which judgment is the Apostle Paul referring to six times in our passage. He's referring to the great white throne judgment. So what's their hope? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That is their hope and it's our only hope. Our hope can be in nothing else or no one else but Jesus only. Grace alone, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let me ask you a question. Where are your sins? Where are they? Wherever they are, that is where God's judgment is going to fall. So where are they? If they're on you, then God's judgment is going to fall on you. But if they are somewhere else, you're safe. Where is that wonderful somewhere else? Where is that wonderful somewhere else? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid the sin upon Jesus. 
And any one of us who calls upon his name, what we do is we transfer our sin from ourselves to Jesus Christ. He pays the penalty. He satisfies the law. And when he satisfies the law, God's judgment falls on him so it doesn't have to fall on you. And we're You are, if you are standing in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the judgment doesn't come a second time. You're forgiven. You're safe. You have eternal life. It reminds me of a true story of a father and a son. They were on the Canadian prairie, and a fire was raging. And the father knew that there was no way they were going to outrun this fire. They, They would be consumed by it. So he told his son, we're going to burn a big patch of grass right here. They burned it. And as, as the fire came towards them, they stood in the middle of the already torched land, torched grass. But as it came closer, the son freaked out. He was terrified. He began to scream, Father, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to burn to death. And the father took his son, his face in his hands. He said, look at me, son. Look right here. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We'll be all right because we're we're standing right here. We're standing where the fire has already been. Sure enough, they were not consumed. They walked out of that situation unscathed. Listen, if you are standing in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Christ, you will never face the great white throne. You will never, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one or two of you who are watching, and you're not real certain that you have a relationship with Christ. I want to help you. The prayer I'm going to pray does not save you. Jesus does. But if you want to pray and make certain that you're forgiven and you are a child of the living God, What it means is that you are going to commit yourself completely, totally to Jesus. If you'd like to do that, pray with me. Please bow your heads. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I know I have broken your laws, and I've come up short. And I would ask you to forgive me. I know you're alive. You're right here with me right now. And I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord because you died and you walked out of the grave. You live. And I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I commit myself to you right now, Jesus. I look to no one else or nothing else for my salvation. I surrender myself to you. And I ask that the fullness of your Spirit would come into my life. Thank you, Jesus. Help me to come to Allegheny Center. Help me to get into a Bible study so that I can grow. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer, there is someone online that you can talk to, and they'd love to help you. But I also want to talk to the believer for a moment. Maybe you've been playing on the edges. You haven't been giving your time or your talents or your treasures to build the kingdom of God. Remember, we're all going to be accountable. I'd encourage you to start really, truly committing yourself to him and begin to build the kingdom. You can build that right here at Allegheny Center Lights Church. You can build that by going online and watching the kids or giving to the year end at Allegheny or Urban Impact or both. You can do that and start building the kingdom of God, and I encourage you to do that today. Let me pray for you as we close. 
Heavenly Father, I commit the ones who have just given their lives to Jesus, and I commit the ones who need to come closer to you. They know you, but they haven't been living right. And I commit them into your hands. I ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in their lives. For, Lord, we want and desire to fulfill your will and build your kingdom. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless.